Don Mockholtz, and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 101, for the week of December 8th, 2021. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, December 8th, the moon will be in the evening sky about 25% full. By next Tuesday, December 14th, the moon will be 80% full in the evening sky, up for most of the night. Moon watchers have a good week ahead. Get out there and look at the moon. The moon will be south of Saturn on December 7th and south of Jupiter on December 8th. On those days in the afternoon, use the moon to find those planets in the daytime. The Gemini's meteor shower peaks on this Monday night, December 13th, into Tuesday morning, December 14th. The moon will be up and bright during the evening and into the early morning hours. But on the 14th, the moon sets two or three hours before morning astronomical twilight, so that would be the best time with the radiant in the constellation of Gemini overhead to see the meteor shower. This is one of the strongest meteor showers of the year, and counts can reach 100 meteors per hour. For a few days before and after the night of December 13th, 14th, some of these meteors may be visible, but with fewer members. Comet Leonard C-2021A1 is now about magnitude 6, barely visible to the unaided eye. This is dimmer than what many had hoped, but the comet is still a month away from perihelium, its closest point to the sun. On December 8th, the Earth, that's us, passes through the plane of the comet, which means the plane of the orbit is edgewise to us. That may brighten and lengthen the tail a bit. And if there is an anti-tail, material appearing to be pointing toward the sun, that is the day to see it, December 8th. As our week begins, Comet Leonard is in the morning sky, which is good as the moon is in the evening sky. The comet is moving 7 degrees per day at the beginning of this week. By next Tuesday, it will be moving more than 9 degrees per day. Its motion will take it north of the sun, and on December 13th, it enters the evening sky. Those in mid-northern latitudes will probably see it for the last time in their morning sky on Sunday, December 12th, when it rises at about the beginning of astronomical twilight. That evening, December 12th, 
it will set north of the sun about an hour after sunset. It sets about 10 minutes later each night as it moves southward. Now, those who are further north, at 45 or more degrees north, will have a better view of the comet during those twilight times as the sun will set sooner and the comet will set later than with those from the mid-northern latitudes. This will occur for a couple of days around December 12th when the comet heads too far south to be easily visible from the northern latitudes. When Comet Leonard officially enters the evening sky on December 12th, the moon will also be in the evening sky. On the opposite side of the sky, then, is the comet. The comet will be in the west, while the moon will be in the east. Until December 19th, when the moon will be full, the moon will continue to get brighter each night. Those in the southern hemisphere will have their first good look at the comet on December 16th, when the comet reaches the same declination as the sun headed south. Will the comet continue to shed enough material to brighten during the next few weeks? We do not know. It has not brightened as much lately as had been anticipated. But another process might brighten up the comet temporarily around December 14th, when the comet has transferred from the morning to the evening sky. Something known as forward scattering may increase the comet by two or three magnitudes, which means it would more than double in brightness. Forward scattering is when sunlight travels through the dust before it reaches you. If the angle from the sun to the dust to you is large, almost a straight line, the dust will increase in brightness. This is not just a theory. It's happened before to comets. I recall in 2002 when Comet 96P Machholz, a periodic comet I discovered in 1986, went past the sun as seen in the SOHO spacecraft cameras. It does this every 5.3 years, and in 2002, it more or less went between us and the sun. It doubled in brightness for a day due to forward scattering. This comet, 96P, will be in a similar position in a little more than a year from now, in January 2023. But back to Comet Leonard. On December 12th through 15th, when the phase angle will produce forward scattering, the comet will be north of the sun in the twilight zone. You can see it low in your western sky, setting nearly due west. So this is something to watch for, and it may be the boost that this comet needs to be visible at least in binoculars in the twilight sky. The comet reaches its closest point to the Earth on December 12th. That will be 20 million miles, which is 32 million kilometers away. You might hear a lot about that in the media, but it won't make much difference as the comet will be within one and a half times that distance 
for more than a week, centered on December 12th. And even though it will be at its closest point to us, that will mean a larger coma with less surface brightness occurring when the comet is in twilight, which is not good at all. So this week and next is the time to watch Comet Leonard. We have our last few days in the morning sky, which is moonless, while we pass through the plane of the comet on December 8th. Then, still this week, it passes from the morning to the evening sky on December 12th when it will be closest to us. And at about that time, when it enters the evening sky with the moon up, forward scattering should brighten it up a bit. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, December 8th, through Tuesday, December 14th? It depends upon where you are located. This week, we have four zones. All you need to know is your latitude. North of 60 degrees north, you will not see the International Space Station at all. Many of you can see it in your evening sky for at least part of the week if you live between 10 degrees south and 60 degrees north, a very large area. Then it will be in your evening sky for at least part of the week, but not for the whole week. Between 33 and 10 degrees south, the ISS will be in both your evening sky and morning sky, but only during the last part of the week. And south of 33 degrees south, the ISS will be in both your evening and morning sky for the whole week. And some of you might be able to see it three times a night. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. There are other comets besides Comet Leonard in our skies this week but those in the evening sky will be competing against an ever-brightening moon. Comets visible this week are plotted on Podcast 101, Maps 1 and 2, this week's maps. Podcast 101, Map 3 is for Comet Leonard in the morning sky, while Podcast 101, Map 4, which you can download all of these from my website, is for Comet Leonard in the evening sky. For more detailed real-time position and maps of these comets, go to heavens-above.com and click on Comets. On Sunday, December 19th, at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'll be giving a talk to the Amateur Observers Society of New York based on Long Island. It is online using WebEx. Now, most clubs use Zoom, but this one uses WebEx. This talk will be about visual comet hunting and will last about 90 minutes. It will be recorded, but the recording will be available only to members of the club. If you would like to watch it live, contact me at dontheastronomer at gmail.com 
and I'll send you the link once I get it. Here's something I sometimes wonder about. When Albert Einstein was a boy, if he ever did anything stupidly, did people say to him, Hey, way to go, Einstein. You hear it now from time to time said to individuals not named Einstein. So I wonder if he ever heard it from his friends. The Messe Objects is a list or a catalog of 110 galaxies, clusters, and nebula. They were recorded by an astronomer and common hunter, Charles Messier, in the late 1700s. They are identified by the M number. For example, the Pleiades, also known as the Seven Sisters, is M45. The Andromeda Galaxy is M31. The Orion Nebula is M42. The process of trying to observe all 110 Messier objects is known as the Messier Marathon. I was one of the inventors of the Messier Marathon, putting it together in 1978 and holding our first one in March 1979. Late March is the best time for the Messier Marathon because the sun is so placed that it washes out the least number of Messier objects. In fact, from mid-northern latitudes, it is possible to see all 110 Messe objects in one night. Worldwide, amateur astronomers gather each year to marathon. Worldwide, yes, the Messe marathon is big in Iran, India, Mexico, Japan, and across Europe. Next year, in 2022, the prime weekend is Saturday night, March 26. The marathon can be done throughout the year, but with fewer numbers. In the past 42 years, I have started 66 Messe marathons and completed 52 of them, those 14 being clouded out after midnight. I have done them in February, March, April, June, July, August, and September, seven of the 12 months of the year. Well, the other night, December 2nd, 3rd, I did a Messe Marathon from my home here in Stargazer, Arizona. This one was different than all of the previous ones. I used the largest telescope I've ever used for a marathon, an 18.5-inch reflector, and for the first time, I used electronic setting circles. In all of my previous ones, I star-hopped to each object, sometimes finding all of the objects from memory with no star maps. So how was it using setting circles? It is relatively easy because the computer box on my telescope would tell me which way to point the telescope to the object and how far to move it. Also, it was quicker than star hopping. 
For the past 30 years, the growing trend for amateur astronomers is to use setting circles to find the objects. And I have been one of the few who has never tried it. So I'm glad I did to see how it is for many of those who do the marathon. That night, December 2nd, 3rd, I found 94 objects, the most that can be seen at this time of the year from my latitude of 35 degrees north. The objects I missed were below the horizon, are in strong twilight, and not visible. Now, this does not mean that my future marathons will be done this way. I love using my other instruments, both big binoculars and small telescopes, to do the marathon, and none of them have electronic setting circles. Someone asked me recently if I have ever met Harvey Pennington. It was good to hear that he is remembered by those in the astronomy community. I met him at the Riverside Telescope Makers Conference in the late 1980s. He was very excited to meet me, and we talked about the Messier Marathon. He asked me if I was going to write a book about it. At the time, in the late 1980s, the Messier Marathon was beginning to take hold, but I did not yet see the need for a book on the subject. Harvey was a computer programmer who drew graphics on computers. He said that he was thinking of writing such a book, and I encouraged him to do it. A few months later, when I was back in Southern California, I dropped off copies of many of my notes on the Messe Marathon. Years passed, and no book appeared. By 1994, I had a good working computer, an IBM 386 and had gathered more notes and experiences with the Messe Marathon. I decided to write a book about it. After I began, I looked around to see if Harvey was still writing the book. I was led to contact the publisher, Wilman Bell, and heard that Harvey Pennington had passed away in the summer of 1993 after writing much of the book. His unfinished manuscript was sent to the publisher, and the publisher was then finishing the book. I called them back a couple of days later with a proposition. I offered to help them finish Harvey's book, and I mentioned my other option is to continue writing my own book on the subject. I was willing to go with whatever the publisher suggested. He suggested I write my own book, even though it would compete against Harvey's. The publisher suggested that with two books on the subject, astronomers would begin to think that the Messe Marathon was a thing and more people would buy the books. So I continued working on my book through the summer of 1994, the summer when I visually discovered three comets in four months. 1994 was a very busy year for me. David Chandler provided the maps using his software. Another friend of mine, Rich Page, also an amateur astronomer, proofread the manuscript. 
I remember my wife Laura and I on our 15th wedding anniversary having a getaway weekend at Rainbow Lodge near Big Bend, California, and me taking the corrected manuscript so that I could review it. Then another friend formatted the manuscript on his computer. I took the final copy to Pony Express printers in Auburn, California for publication. In all, we had five printings of the first edition, and several hundred copies were sold. The book is nearly a hundred pages, with almost 60 pages dedicated to the story of Charles Messier, his catalog, and the missing objects that are now identified. Also in those 60 pages is discussion of the marathon, the history of it, and ideas on running your own Messe marathon. The last 40 pages is the atlas, walking you through the marathon from beginning to end. Plenty of maps are involved, and directions from one object to the next give them in north-south and east-west directions. These directions are designed for those with equatorial mounts, but the maps can also be used by those with Dobsonian telescope mounts. The book has sold well for more than a quarter century, and hundreds of amateur astronomers have used it to run the marathon. I seldom travel, but in 1999 I was in England for a comet conference and a solar eclipse, which, by the way, was clouded out. After a tour of Cambridge University Press, I met with the manager and brought both my Messe Marathon book and my Decade of Comets book. I asked him if he was interested in publishing either. He looked through each of them and suggested the Messe Marathon book. So, over the next three years, I rewrote it and Cambridge published that one. So, I have two books out on the Messe Marathon and Harvey Pennington has one. And that is all there is. As mentioned last week, used copies of my 1994 self-published book are offered on the internet for $50 and $55. We can do better than that. I am now offering signed copies of two versions of my 1994 Messe Marathon book. Each one is $35. The first is the first edition. It does not have the printing number on the title page as we did not put first printing on it, but it is. In subsequent printings, second through the fifth, we did say which printing it was on the title page. This first edition, first printing, even has my name misspelled on the title page. Four times my last name is misspelled. If you want the first edition, this is where to get it. And if you want it signed, let me know. Even though my name spelling was corrected in subsequent printings, no other changes were made. Over the past few weeks, I've assembled a second edition. Here are the changes. My bio is updated. A table of suggested Messe Marathon dates has been updated through the year 2050. 
And I made a minor change on the observing order to reflect an update made more than 20 years ago to make the marathon easier to run. The second edition is available only from me for $35. To order either of these 1994 books, the first or second edition, go to my website, donmockholtz.com. The webpage for ordering the book is expected to be set up by this Wednesday, December 8th. Over the past year, I've written another book about the Messe Marathon. We are looking for a publisher for the book, so it might be a while before it comes available. The new unpublished book has nothing about Charles Messier, his catalog, nor the marathon. It is a companion guide to the 1994 book, and it's for those who need additional help finding the Messier objects. It has plenty of maps. And it has a section for those using go-to automated telescopes to do the marathon, as, as this has become a rather popular way to do it. Finally, it has monthly maps and observing orders for those wishing to do the marathon any time of the year from three different latitudes. Mated with my 1994 book, this provides a complete array of Messe Marathon information and guidance. Look for this book sometime next year. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? Look for Comet Leonard in the morning sky at the beginning of the week and the evening sky near the end of the week. Watch for forward scattering to brighten it a bit. The Gemini meteor shower is late next week. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 101 for December 8, 2021. I'm Don Mockles. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockles.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. You can contact me at dontheastronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that is dontheastronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's up in the sky. Our number one topic will be Comet Leonard, plus the winter solstice is coming up. And I'll talk more about visual comet hunting. I wasn't able to get to that this week. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.